And I do want to spend a few minutes here as, in, with regards to the sermon and talk to you about this mystery of life that God gave us, this amazing opportunity to, to journey in the earth, to live out our lives. And uh, it's not just a coincidence that you're here. If you could see your life from God's perspective, you could see all the potential and all the purpose and all the process, all the things that he set in place for you. You know, if you listen just to um, the medical science definition and, and how they define the existence of life and their explanation for things like that, Basically, they say that there was a big bang, a whole bunch of gas exploded, that there were uh, chemicals and minerals, and I guess you could say maybe the elements were available in, those, in that process, that ev- all the building blocks that were necessary for the chairs and the clouds and the, everything around us, the building blocks were in that thing. And then that over the course of time, somehow, all of a sudden, that life came into being. <coughs> and... Uh, uh, the worst sermon I've ever preached in this church so far um, was the one that I tried to do the mathematical uh, possibilities of evolution. Do y'all remember that? Now, some of y'all were sleeping, so you don't really remember what I was saying. I completely lost everybody, I th- thought, that day. And it was a fascinating <laughs> sermon for me. But it talked about how, I'm not going to go there, so folks, don't bow your heads yet. (laughs) But it talked about how just mathematically how difficult and how even if you give billions of years, mathematical probability does not allow enough time with billions of years for things to evolve. Um, Because there's one thing that's missing in the equation, and that is where did the DNA come from? That little three-letter dirty word for (laughs) DNA. Where did the DNA come from? That formula for life. If you've got rocks and you've got gas and you've got all these, where did the DNA come from? The DNA is the prescription. It is the blueprint. It is the, the design map for life. A rock doesn't have DNA. Metal does not have a DNA. All those elements do not have DNA. It is the combination, that recipe for life that God gave. And we find it all over, all over Scripture. Matter of fact, when I was researching and, and uh, uh, looking for Scriptures about life, this being Sanctity of Life Sunday, if I... If I thumb all the way through all the notes at the beginning of this Bible, it's going to take us a while to get there. But I want to ask you, if you would, to turn to me to Genesis chapter 1. Let me just say this. From the beginning, what we find in the testimony of Scripture is that life was intentional. Life is intentional. It was by God's design. God planned it. God planned it. God planned the life of the birds. God planned the life of the plants. God uh, planned the life of the fish. God planned your life. Your life was intentional. God intended it. Let's go back, and we're going to read just foundational Scripture that we've heard, that we know, but we're going to read it again. Genesis chapter 1. 
my Bible is challenged in this area. This piece is worn out. I keep talking about taking this Bible and getting it re, redone. There's a lot of good notes in there. Um, but in Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. This is, this is talking about creation. There's, uh, it says here, I'm just going to go ahead and read. Verse 26, oh, we have it up there. Then God said, let's make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all, all, the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let's stop right there, okay? God's intention, and I know you've heard this before, we preach this before, but it still may be new to some. And we may need a refresher course in it because when we get bombarded with contrary things, after a while it just becomes overwhelming and, and we miss it. But just to reestablish it, God's intention was to make man. God planned it. God put the, the, the plan in motion. But his intention in making man wasn't just to make man like any other creature. It wasn't just a display of his, we're not just a display of his handiwork. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I love a nature show. I can wear you out with stories about fish and birds and plants and all kinds of things like that. Have you seen those birds of paradise that dance around? I don't know if you've seen those things. There's all kinds of fascinating things out there. I love it. I get all excited about that. But with all the beauty and all the amazing things that are out there, right now, you know, they're talking about about the number of animals that are being killed over in Australia because of the fires and things like that, and people are mourning the loss of those animals. They're mourning the loss of habitat for the polar bear, and they're mourning the loss, you know, that we're losing species is what they're saying. You know, we're losing this, this uh, amazing life. God created all those things, yes, and they are an amazing display of his creativity, his ability. But when it came to man, he didn't say, let's just make a man. He said, let us make man in our image. God's intent is that in mankind, it doesn't mean Cecile and I were having this discussion about genetics on the way to church today. <laughs> and that sounds really intelligent, but don't let us fool you. You know, talking about Adam and Eve, the genetic diversity that had to be in the two of them in order for all of mankind's DNA to be to, to be possible through them. What, what, what do they look like? You know, what was going on in their gene pool there to be able to create that? And uh, it, was, it was, again, fascinating to me, and I don't want to put you to sleep. But, but God's intent, the image that God was talking about here when he wanted to create man his image, not really about the two eyes and the nose and the lips and the teeth and the hair, and the color of the skin or the height of the body, that's not what he was talking about. What he's talking about is the character and the nature. And even the way we live our lives, that we live purposely and we're governing things, and from what he was trying to implant in them here, that he wanted them to multiply. He wanted them to, to, to fill the earth and to manage what he had given to us. And as God manages the universe, he wanted mankind to make wise decisions and, and live out a life purposely, and I believe to be life givers to people we come in contact with as God has been a life giver to us. So he says that he wanted them to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds 
of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over everything that creeps, everything that creeps on the earth, every creeping thing. Then it goes on to 27, says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then verse 28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the over there and every living thing that moves in the earth. And we'll, we'll pause right there for just a minute. God's intention was that we, we find this in the New Testament, God, when God was restoring mankind, God's intention is that we be imitators of God. Not that we be fakes, but that somehow the image of what God is like can be seen in us. Wow. Didn't that just raise the bar? That the image of what God's character, what God's nature, what God's feeling to our fellow brethren, men or women, that God's nature can be seen in us. When it says imitators of God, it doesn't mean that we're fakes. But it means that there's something real inside of us. There is uh, a scripture about Christ. And the scripture about Christ says that he is like an embossing. You know what that is? That that image is embossed on us, that we become a reflection of what he's like. You know what embossing is? That's when with pressure and force something is put in place, and when you remove it, then all of a sudden that image is left there. That God, and I can say the word force, and it almost sounds like damaging, but it's not. It's an intentional impressing of who he is upon us so that when people experience us, they're experiencing something of him. Isn't that challenging? Are they experiencing Christ in us? I heard the other day somebody shared with this with me, and I believe this number is correct. I could be corrected on this. But that there is a proposal because of everything that's going on with the climate. However you read and interpret the news, believe it or don't, that there was a proposal that came about by some that it may be beneficial for us to look towards limiting the human population on the earth. Have you all heard about this? What was the number that they came up with? Have you heard? What I heard was that they limit the human population down to 500 million. Isn't that encouraging? My thought is that probably those that came up with this that are included in the 500 million. They will start with the, that elite group and choose a few select that we need to accomplish some things for, to work for them. But the, the proposals out there that, you know, you know because humanity is destroying everything, is what they're, what they're saying, that we just kind of eliminate the unnecessary people. We somehow through a selection process designed by them, come up with a population of about 500 million and let the earth heal itself and, and perpetuate the human species through, through that. So who, who, who should we eliminate? Yeah. <laughs> Start with them. Part of the problem solved. <laughs> 
No, but just think about that. Who, who around us is not valuable? You know, there are really there are circumstances that affect people's life. There are people who are going through things right now. There are people who have been through things in the past that they immediately would categorize themselves by saying that probably people would think that they are not valuable. Already they have a sense or a feeling that maybe their life's not worth very much. And so they would self-categorize because they assume that that's everybody else's perspective of what they're like. That's what their perspective of other people's valuation is. And then there's some people that, due to self-condemnation and self-criticism, would look at themselves and say, I'm just no good. I'm not in there. You've got the other side of the perspective, too. I'm the elite. I'm, I'm better than everybody else. I look down on everybody else. Both perspectives are completely wrong. When God looks at humanity, you know, I, when God looks at humanity, he values everyone, everyone. God values you. You're not insignificant. You're not overlooked. You're not less than. You may be struggling with something in your life. You may be trying to medicate somehow. You may be dealing with a hurt or a pain or a sense of guilt or maybe some woundedness in your life. But let, I, let me just encourage you with this. God values you. I'm going to say it again. God values you because he knows what you were created for. He knows what his intention was with that plan, the blueprint that he put together for your life. He knows what, not that you're supposed to be perfected before you know him, but he knows what he can accomplish in you. If you're sitting here today, if you're hearing online at some point, if you're listening to what's being said to you today, I want to tell you that God can do great things through your life. God can heal hurts. God can put together broken pieces. God can use you to change the course of life for people around you. He can change your life, but he can use you in his economy to accomplish things for his glory. It doesn't matter if you did good for a while and you tripped and fell. Just get back up. It doesn't matter if your whole life has just been a uh, a whole conglomeration of turmoil and strife and stress and, and pain and hurt. God can heal those broken places. God can restore and make someone whole. But God sees you as valuable. Last week, I felt impressed to the Lord to pray for Iran. And I kind of wrestled with it for a few days because I said, Lord, that's liable to make some people upset. Why are we praying for those that, that are enemies to us? Look, the people of Iran aren't our enemies. There may be some, some hard and ruthless people out there. And some people may have hardened hearts towards the Lord. But can I tell you that even people with hardened hearts are valuable to the Lord? God would rather see them change their ways. God would rather see them come back to him. And if they don't, there is, by their own prescription, by God's set it up, God, God put things in place, but they said, you choose life or death. 
And mankind makes choices over life and self-condemns. Because God's given everything necessary to bring people to life. Jesus challenges us to pray for our enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Why? Why why would we pray for someone who mistreats us? Why would we pray for someone who has set themselves against us? Why would we pray for someone that has done wrong to us? Why do we pray for the person that has hurt us so deeply that it's crushed our spirit? Why do we pray for the person who has set themselves against us in such a way that they want to see our demise? I had the opportunity to read through something the other day. It was transcript. It was documentation of a couple of people that were having a fight and one person that had a need and abused the resources that were made available to them. In other words, they profited from the resources that been made available for a beneficial act, for beneficial ministry, let me put it like that. And someone that had connection with resources, but that person that had the connection with resources went out tooth and nail to destroy that other person. I saw where the person who had failed came and it was written out how they came weeping and asking for forgiveness and saying they're so sorry for what they'd done. They had messed up and made a mistake, but yet there was this righteous indignation vilified coming against and wanting to just rip and destroy to the extent of contacting all the people that person had been in contact with and tell them, don't give to this person anymore. And I thought, you know, there's there, that person messed up, and there's, there's some justice in that except for the fact that, thank God for mercy. There's two sides to this thing, and that is that God prescribed laws. He gave guidance and direction. He said, look, if you do these things, there will be consequences on your life. If you do these things, it can cause you to lose your life. There is righteousness. There are are the laws in place. There are things in place. If you stump your toe, it's going to hurt. If you jump off of a cliff, you're going down. Right? But thank the Lord that in the midst of that, that there's grace. Can I just say this? Sometimes the church and church people relish being ministers of judgment more than they relish being ministers of grace somebody murder somebody there's judgment they will go to jail if they're caught if they're processed and tried and it's deemed that they really did the act there are consequences to that do you realize that that person who has consequences in their life because of sinful acts that they've been a part of, that they still need grace and that God still loves them? Do you know God can take a murderer that's in jail, that's sentenced to life or sentenced to death, and God can still work through that person and cause them, while they're under the sentence of their conviction, to bring life to people in the prison? There's judgment and there's grace. That grace is still available to someone even though they've been convicted. And you know, sometimes that grace does a miraculous work and God reorders the circumstances of that person's life so that they can experience not only freedom in their soul, but God can change their circumstances in their conviction 
and reward them with freedom. Just think of Paul. Paul says, look, I'm the worst of sinners. Paul, in his zeal to be able to serve the Lord and do justice, these people are not preaching according to the, the law of our forefathers. They're not preaching the law the same kind of way. And he's out there coming against them because they're preaching Jesus. But wait a minute, that doesn't agree with my tradition. And so he goes after them to have them persecuted, to have them thrown in jail. He, he was there, a witness to Stephen being stoned, and he was okay with it. Yet as a murderer, as a persecutor, not only of the church, but Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Jesus told him, said, why persecutest thou me? Yet God administered grace. If we're a display of his image, his character, his nature, can I just, can I? Wow, Lord. Are we ministers of grace or are we ministers of judgment? Are you willing to, to let go of the areas where you have the right? See, y'all can sit there, but I can still walk down. <laughs> I can still get to you. <laughs> Do you know that God's given us an opportunity to release grace to people that don't deserve it? What better dis display of his character and nature? I mean, we can... Well, some of us can. Some of y'all can. Bake cakes for people and do kind acts for them. We could, you know, go mow their grass. We can do things to be able to bless people. But when we give grace to someone who doesn't deserve it, when we love someone who mistreats, God helped protect Kellyanne yesterday. Down, there was the shooting down here at the apartments. You know, and was it was this the fourteen year old? No. Okay. She was inside watching a Christian movie and got a phone call. Hey, are you okay? She's like, what? <laughs> it was gunfire, gunfire right where she was. And um, I heard about evidence. Yeah, yeah. God, God took care of you. But, you know, like uh, I, I heard a story about a 14-year-old. What happened with the 14-year-old? He was shooting. Who was he shooting at? cars and and i under if he's the one you don't normally do this during a sermon do you it's all right welcome home folks uh, is he did he had he also shot and killed a dog he, he'd shot and killed a dog I, I, that struck me even as i was praying about this sermon was the fact that what's the difference between shooting a dog and shooting a person there there's there's a, a callousness that is developed there you know I don't know what kind of war and torment that he's got going on in the inside. Yeah, he's being driven to do these things. But you know what? Look, 
I'm not about this greasy grace where you just, if, if, it's easy to feel merciful. And you, grace comes with, uh, it, it is intention to help the person change, not just to say, you're okay, we love you, and leave you where you are. That, don't, 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 be, don't be sloppy with love, okay? <laughs> Maybe I better define that. Love people deeply, but you don't give your child who's asking you for that sharp knife out of the kitchen drawer, a knife just because they want it, because you know they're going to hurt themselves. Love helps give boundaries and parameters and helps to guide somebody. It helps somebody walk out a life that's going to be beneficial for them, hurtful. You don't just give somebody everything they want because you're trying to show them that you love them. You give them in measure, but you also make sure that the things are, are being placed into their lives, the guidance and direction that they need to help them live a better life. I am so way off from the scriptures that I have this morning. But folks, my, my whole point here is that, that we need to learn to value people around us. I, I, I pray that we can become so intentional about life and being life givers. Did you hear that? Life givers. That when we step up to the cash register, the, the account at the cash register, that we are seeking the Holy Spirit for an understanding of God. How can this sentence or two spur a thought in that person's mind that will lead them towards you? How, when we go to lunch after church, can that interaction with that waitress or waiter at the restaurant or the person behind the cash register there? You know, we're getting ready to pray for our food right now. Is there anything you need prayer for? You know, we're going to be praying anyhow. It becomes a transition to a conversation that can help bring hope and help to people that need help. Where are they going to find it elsewhere? Social services, you know, go down to the ABC store because let's medicate it down the road. It doesn't fix things. We have the prescription of life that helps set people free. There was an, that big Ebola outbreak a few years ago over there in West Africa that then all of a sudden started showing up in different places. Well, as long as it's their problem over there, we really don't have to worry about it. But what happens when it shows up and all of a sudden Ebola has broken out in Dallas? Dallas is a crossroads for travel through the airports there, the, the more than one airport that can spread that thing across the nation. You know what? There are nurses and doctors that didn't show up at the hospital because they would not go to work knowing that there were Ebola patients in the hospital. I know that because my first cousin is a traveling nurse, and he was asked to go to that hospital to go work, and so he did. But there were staff at the hospital like, I'm not going to go help those people. So what do you do when something like that happens and you have on the shelf of our heart the prescription that helps set people free. God, I'm so glad you've met all my needs. So glad I've got what it takes to live a life. What happens when that person you come in contact with needs some of that prescription? Do you give life? Look, folks, it's not like we're going to run out. I hope not. It's a river of life, right? It flows to us, but it flows through us. That shouldn't be bottled up, reservoir, stored up, save for a rainy day. If we've got a rainy day life supply, then something's wrong with us. It ought to be a river. 
It's artesian well. It just keeps springing up and springing up and flowing through us. <laughs> well, we made it about that far through my notes. So let's go. We're running out of time. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. going to show up on the board before I can get there in my Bible. I'm looking at verse 4. Look, the beginning of John's masterful. It's an amazing, it, it's deeper than we read in our English because a Jewish rabbi can pick it up and understand words that are there and see the tie into the Old Testament. And know that what's being described here is not just something that's a letter to New Testament believers, but it's something that is reaching out to the people of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and showing them how Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies and the promises that are contained. And I'm not preaching that sermon today. I just wanted to say that. You can go look that up and find it for yourself. Google's amazing. Um, I'm not promoting Google. Find, find another one. Uh, or something like that. Anyhow, it talks about, the, he starts out here and he's describing, it's a little bit confusing unless you work through it and take some time, but he's describing Jesus coming. He's describing Jesus as the word. And then it comes down to verse four and says, in him was life and the life was the light of man. In him, Christ was life and that life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. In Christ was the life of man. And I'm going to just tell you that when I started pulling up the word life and looking at it in the Bible, I just encourage all of you today to go pull up on your computers and start reading all the scriptures about life. We'll see you next year when you get done. There's so many scriptures that pertain to life in God's word. Why? Because that's one of the key things that he wants to bring to us. He came to give us life. He initiated this process back in Genesis. His whole thing is he realized that because of sin and the darkness that came along with it, the judgment that came along with it, we've been missing it as, a man, as humanity. We've been missing out on life. And so Jesus came to rectify and put things back in order. He came, he was life, and he came to give life. We go on down. I'm going to just skip some rocks over some scriptures because I'm going to feel upset if I don't get to. But... John 3.16, we know, for God so loved the world. If you're a part of the world, would you just raise your hand for just a minute? Are you a part of the world? Raise your hand. Come on. There's people not doing it. All right. Okay. There's, there might be some aliens among us. <clears throat> if you're a part of the world, can I just say this? God loves you. Maybe you don't feel lovely. Maybe you don't feel like you deserve. Maybe you just feel like you have messed up. You've messed it up. Somebody else somehow messed you up and you don't feel whole. I just want to tell you, you're not left out. He loves you. God so loved the world that the life that he had in him, he gave up so that you could have the life that he had. He gave his life for you. Not just for you, and I just, I just want to knock something in the head while I'm here, okay? 
I just want, from my perspective, I'm going to knock it in the head. I don't believe that God says that I'm going to select a few people and let them be saved. Just That came really strong. I was going to say, to hell with the rest of them. I mean, because that's really what the prescription is, right? I don't believe that's what God's intention is. My heart, based on this scripture and other scriptures, is that, that whoever, whosoever, anybody who is willing to receive him, to believe on him, God wants them to have eternal life. It's not God's will that any should perish, the scripture says, but that all should come to know him, that all would have the opportunity to have this life. That's God's desire. He wants everybody who will. He knows because he knows the beginning from the end. He can see a thousand years down the road as well as he can see today, as well as he can see the very first day that ever existed. He is, exists without the limitations of time. He can tell who will be saved and he won't. He knows who will make the decision, who won't make the decision. Can I just tell you this? God knows every time you ever messed up. And he loved you. For those of you who gave your, yourself to the Lord years ago and then made mistakes and messed up and the enemy's beating you up and telling you you're unworthy, can I just tell you that when God introduced himself to you, he knew when you were going to mess up. And he still loved you. He still loves you. So don't. Let the enemy tempt you into wallowing around in self-pity and, and, and uh, self-condemnation. and Don't let him beat you up in that. Know this. God knows me. He knows me. He knows my failures. He knows the thoughts that are in the wrong place. He knows when frustration causes us to do things. He knows when the hurt and the pain causes us to do things that are harmful to us. He knows me. I am, can I say this like we said last week? I am totally known by him. I am completely known by him. I can put on the happy face. I can put on the best clothes that I have. I can try to dress myself and everything like that. And God still knows what's going on in my heart. I am totally known by him. So are you. You're totally known by him. All those details that you would love to be able to hide and hope that nobody finds out. And he loves you. He loves me. Because of that, I have strength for life. Because of that, I have the ability to forgive myself for places where I messed up. Because the grace that's been extended to me, I have the ability to look at somebody else that mistreats me or maligns me or talks behind my back or cuts me off in traffic. <laughs> I have the ability to love them too and be gracious to them because the life that came from him to me gives me the ability to extend life and grace and mercy to people around us. I don't know exactly how to bring it about. And I'm just going to have to abandon the other scriptures there. Thank you for setting those up. I don't know how to bring it about. 
But folks, as a congregation, as the people of God, we must learn how to love deeply the people that God puts, us around, puts around us, the family members that we have been wounded by and wounded by and wounded by, the parents that didn't get it right because their parents didn't get it right and the grandparents didn't get it right and there's been something that's passed on for generations that they don't know how to love and their love comes with so much condition that it hurts and you can never measure up. There's always criticism. God can heal the hurt and teach you to love beyond the offense. Love more deeply than the offense goes. God knows how to heal broken hearts. God knows how to set the captive free. God knows how to take all the broken pieces and put it back together. And God knows how to take broken, wounded people and turn them into people who know how to love. Whatever pain you've suffered, whatever you've been through, whatever God has had to work so deeply to heal inside of you, God can help you to become a healer of people that are walking in those same shoes or struggling with that same thing. Let's as a people dedicate ourselves to sharing life. My last scripture was going to be the one that Pamela began with because it's core to our mission as believers because it was core to Jesus. He said, look, if you're suffering because you've been stolen from or because you're, you, you, you're, you know, the thief's come to steal, kill, and destroy, if he is destroying your life, if you're losing your life, if you're dealing with those kind of things, don't point your finger up at God and say, God, why are you doing this to me? That wasn't God's prescription and his plan for us. God doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. Why would he work against himself? Jesus said, the thief, the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Full life, complete life, a fulfilled life. If you look at different translation, what he's talking about, that you live the life the way it's intended to be amazing and beautiful and fulfilled a lot different than what we are experiencing and if we were to have a meter today and measure your life meter you know how you doing how you doing out there if it continues just the way you are where are you going to be a few years down the road are we on uh, an upward climb on the graph or are we on a it's where things aren't looking good I don't want you to even stay level. Don't stay level. Don't settle for that. Let's get better. Let's get better. You're struggling physically? Intentionally begin a process of improving your physical health one step at a time. Baby steps, change some behaviors, change. Don't expect the tomorrow to be perfect. I lost about... 15, 16 pounds in a week. It's because I was fasting. You know what? In two days, I had 10 pounds back. <laughs> I'm like, how did that happen? That radical change sometimes doesn't work as good as a process of change. So if you've got physical things that need to change, don't be overwhelmed by it. 
the enemy will use that against you. Start making small changes that change things over life. If it's a financial thing, work on it. Work on life. Work on life. Work on life. In your spiritual life, start putting things in place that will help transform your future. Start listening to good teachers. Start reading God's Word. Start taking a scripture or two and imprint it in your heart. Learn it. Make it yours. God will give you the best life possible if you'll put your life in His hands. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, we love you. God, you've given us such a demonstration of love. Scripture says that there's no greater love than someone could have for their friend that they would lay down their life. And that's what you did for us. And God, I, I have seen people in this congregation operates operate as lights in the earth just this week your lord hearing the testimonies of different people your lord that have reached out and been there for someone else in need or have reached out and done a good deed for somebody lord and in that they're demonstrating life to the people they come in contact with i thank you for this congregation of people i thank you your lord for the expression of your life through us let's continue that lord and help us to get better at it god today there may be some here, dear Lord, that are searching, they're struggling, they're wanting uh, hope because things are just messed up. They're not where they ought to be. And they know that the course that they're on right now, if they continue that way, God, that it's not looking good for the future. They're, the, they're walking off a cliff with regards to life. And God, they need someone to rescue them. God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts right now. And while, while we're praying and your eyes are... are are turned down you've got your eyes closed your heads are bowed if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with jesus but you definitely need some intervention in your life there's some pieces out of place that need to be put in place if you want to know jesus as your savior i want to just ask you where you are just would you raise your hand in such a way that i'll be able to see it so that i can pray for you anybody here you need jesus as your savior we can introduce you to him and, and start that journey Look, I can promise you that Jesus has answers to your situation. I can't tell you that religion does, but I can tell you that a life with him will set things in order. Is there anybody? Would you raise your hand where you are right now? All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear God, that you have joined yourself to us as we have brought ourselves into relationship with you. And Lord, you have promised, matter of fact, the scripture says that you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, not just to be around us, but you said to dwell in us and to be with us, to help us to walk out this new life that you're given, that you've given us. So Lord, we do draw on that. I have to say for myself, and I pray for this congregation, Lord, help us not to get so busy that we forget to invite you along with us in this journey. God, but as we go through our week, that we would say, Lord, show me how to answer this need. Lord, show me what you want done today. God, show me how to solve this problem. 
And Lord, help us to step out of just living a natural life and start living a, a life that's been uh, enhanced by your supernatural ability. Teach us how to live in such a way that brings honor to you. Now, God, I am sending out a missile prayer right now. God, people in here that love you and that know the truth, but yet they are, that they are bound to things that there are bondages or things that are stealing life from them physically in addictions to your God or, Lord, in attitudes, uh, God, thought processes that are going on in the mind, lies that are, that are being drummed up in their mind, your God, or even outside opposition that's coming against them. Lord, I pray right now that you would send a work, send your angels on their behalf, Lord, send your, your word, your God, and set them free. Break the chains, your God. Set the captives free. Help your people, your God, to be able to live the life that they've been created for. And God, we will give you the praise and glory. Be glorified, Lord. Lord, help us to receive the life that you give. And Lord, help us to give that life to other people. Make us disciples, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Help us to impact one. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen.